This is a download from Ormskirk Christadelphians of one of our Sunday afternoon talks. A video of the talk is also available along with more downloads on our website, ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk. If you'd like to join us in person, our talks take place at our meeting room on Moorgate in Ormskirk every Sunday at 1.45pm. We hope you enjoy the talk. I think if we actually look at life and the world in which we live, we can see from nature that creation is a marvellous and wonderful thing, that we look around us and see the evidence of God's mighty hand. And we have an account in Scripture, in Genesis chapter 1, a tremendous insight into the way that the world was formed, the accuracy and the clearness that comes out from Genesis chapter 1 cannot be surpassed. That is where our foundation is. We don't have to go to science. We don't have to go to men of the world. The God of heaven has given us this account in Genesis chapter 1. In fact, the first three chapters of Genesis tell us the whole essence of God's creation it shows that there's a purpose in what we find on the earth today and we have tremendous uh, information it's like the seedbed of life so those three, three chapters at the beginning must be the starting point from any consideration of the purpose of the creation of man so I want us to start off then and look at this account of creation in Genesis chapter 1 and just follow it through. Remember that this is not a, an assumption. It's a fact that God has given to us. These are <coughs> evidences which are presented to us in a very straightforward manner but are absolute truth. So let's now begin then and look at Genesis chapter 1 and see about how man fits into God's account of creation. We start off in Genesis chapter 1, and we're looking at verse um, 24. We'll just read a few verses there. And God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind, the cattle and the creeping thing and the beasts of the earth after his kind, and it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth after his kind, and... Uh, the cattle after their kind and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind and God saw that it was good and God said let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea over the fowl of the air over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth so God created man in his own image the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. So God first created the animals first, as you can see from that reading. It does started off there by saying that God uh, created all these living creatures, these animals. And then it says afterwards that he then created man. So what's the difference? Well, there's a great difference between the animals and the creation of man. And the difference is that man was created, as it says there, in the image of God. The, the animals were not created in the image of God. It's only man 
So what do we see then in man who's creating the image of God? When it says in the image of God, let us make man in our image, it's where God is speaking about himself and the angels who were then present at the time of creation. So he divinely endowed man with the power of speech so man could communicate, could communicate with the angels and could communicate with God himself. And so his purpose could be made known to man. So this made man different. And it's this relationship that we want to develop now and see the way in which God has created man for his glory, to communicate with him. And we know if we look at our own complex nature, we look at the way that we're made, the, the different uh, elements, parts, organs within the body all this comes through the wisdom of God God's wisdom has formed us as we are now but basically we were formed from the dust of the ground and I think this is interesting we must look at the simple way that scripture reveals it to us and so we do that by looking at the exact words that are here these words are given by God. This is the word of God, is the scriptures. So we must value it. And it tells us in chapter 2 and at verse 6. And I'll start off with this verse because it's, 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 I think it's special. It says that, um, But there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. So you can see it had not rained before that. But then it says the ground was watered when a mist came up from the ground. And it was only after that happened that man was formed. And that's what it says. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed to his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. So it was after he caused the earth to have this moisture upon it. And then we can see here that the dust becomes a clay and he forms man, just like a potter would form a pot on his wheel. That system there is now shown here in reality in the way that God formed man of the dust of the ground. And it's important to note that much of our, our bodily makeup is made from water. If we have water taken away from us, we would die. That's the one in that's the one medium through which life is given. So we take in water. We must if you don't take, you become dehydrated. Our bodies need water. And that's because when we were created, we were created with water there that came onto the dust of the ground. And much of our bodily makeup can be uh, brought down to a base where we have our bodily makeup from the ingredients of the dust of the ground. So, so there is a, 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 a basis here from what we can see in ourselves and the way that God created. Let's just look at, I'm going to leave a, a marker in there because I'll come back to that, uh, that chapter. But if you actually look at the Psalms, go a little bit further on, not the Psalm we read, but go towards the end of the Psalms and you can see there we're given a little bit more information about the way that we're made. If you look at Psalm 139 and look at verse 13, it says there, For thou hast 
possess my reins. Reins is the word mean thoughts. Thou hast possessed my thoughts. Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvellous are thy works, and that my uh, soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. So when we're created in the lowest parts of the earth, there in the mind and the power of God, all our different elements were, were, were developed, as it, as, it, uh, as it indicates there. And it goes on to say, Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. So all the different parts that are within our body all came from that original creation. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they're more than the sand, more than the sand. When I wake, I am still with thee. So there you see the, the complexity and if we were to look at the sand, look at the grains of sand, we just cannot understand there's that much about the sand that's there. And it's same with man. We cannot understand all the little details about the body that God has put there as part of his creation. So we look at our own bodies and we can see the, the bone structures that our bodies are made up from the various organs that we've already mentioned every organ has its different parts at play and then we've got the interconnecting uh, fibres that, that associate everything together the mind can associate with this pain in the foot, the mind knows about it so the whole body is working together and we are indeed fearfully and wonderfully made but it's the hand of a, a designer, a creator, it's not by pure chance God has, has created these things and it's marvellous. Just quoting here, without turning it up, from Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 11 verse 5, it says, For thou knowest not what is the way of the Spirit, nor how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child. Even so thou knowest not the works of God, who maketh all. So the complexity there, we understand, is from the divine mind, the ability of the almighty creator man has to develop a character that's what's important to God a character that's pleasing to him and we can only do this by being obedient to the things which God has shown to us and that in obedience is important he hasn't made us like robots automatons that just do things uh, by mechanical means we're given free will and God wants us to, to use that free will to give him glory this is pleasing to God and so this is part of our original makeup so that we are given a free will and we can respond to the one who has created us so we begin to see now that there appears to be some form of, of purpose with the Almighty, but he has to put certain test cases together so that this can be proven, that man can prove that he is one who will obey certain laws that God gives to him. And this is 
how Genesis gives it, gives it uh, uh, reason. If we come to Genesis chapter 2 now, go on a little bit further to verse 15. It says, The Lord God took man and put him in the garden to dress it and to keep it. Then it goes on to say, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of the tree of the garden, uh, uh, tree of the gar uh, every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for the day thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. So there we've got an explanation of man and his environment. He was put into the Garden of Eden and he's given two tasks, we notice there, to dress and to keep it. That's what he had to do. But he was also subject, as we can see there, to divine law and this prohibited him from partaking of the tree of knowledge of good and evil and that enabled him to use his free will in obedience to that law and we can see that there was a penalty given and the penalty if man disobeyed he would die made very clear there he wasn't to partake of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Adam and Eve did have the benefit of communication. They communicated, as we know, with the angels that were there. But they had to this, have this willingness to obey divine law. And this had to be tested. And here we have the record of the entrance of sin. And that is, of course, the transgression of God's law. And the serpent was endowed with speech and the serpent suggested that the forbidden, forbidden fruit was most desirable and that the penalty would not be imposed and Adam and Eve as we know from this account chose to actually believe the serpent rather than those things which God had told them that thou should not eat of it just let's read the account together then we can see verse um, 1 of chapter 3 now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which God had, Lord God had made and he said unto the woman yea hath God said ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden and the woman said unto the serpent we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden God hath said ye shall not eat of it neither shall ye touch it lest ye die and the serpent said unto the woman he shall not surely die. There's the, there's the lie. For God doth know that the day ye eat thereof, your eyes shall be opened. Ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat gave also to a husband with her and he did eat and there we find the, the, the beginning of transgression and this leads us now to see that Adam and Eve understood that they had made the wrong decision because fear entered into their minds fear that they'd never had before and they tried to hide themselves from the angels who were there in the garden and if we carry on reading now, we can see what the angels said to them. 
and it says there in verse 11 of chapter 3 and he said who told thee that thou wast naked hast thou eaten of the tree what have I commanded thee that thou shalt not eat and the man said the woman whom thou gavest to be with me she gave me of the tree and I did eat and this is sin try to blame somebody else and the Lord God said unto the woman what is this that thou hast done the woman said the serpent which uh, beguiled me and I did eat the Lord God said unto the serpent because thou hast done this thou art cursed above all cattle above every beast of the field and thy belly shalt thou go dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life I will put enmity between thee and the woman between thy seed and her seed it shall bruise thy head thou shalt bruise his heel and to the woman he said I will greatly multiply thy, seed, thy sorrow and thy conception in sorrow shalt thou bring forth children and thy desire shall be to thy husband and he shall rule over thee and unto Adam he said because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife and eaten of the tree which I commanded thee saying thou shalt not eat of it cursed is the ground for thy sake in, in sorrow shalt thou eat it all the days of thy life thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee and thou shalt eat the herb of the field in the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread until thou return to the ground for out of it wast thou taken for dust thou art and unto dust shalt thou return so there we have the evidence set before us in very clear terms but here we see the grace of God that even though Adam and Eve had sinned he showed them that there was a way of salvation there was a way to be saved and it comes out in verse 15 I'll put enmity between thee and the woman that's the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman the serpent will be bruised in the head the serpent represented sin sin will be bruised in the head by the seed of the woman and the seed of the woman there was going to be the coming of the Lord Jesus and even at that early stage we see the love of God that man has given us a purpose in life that even though death would come as a natural event we could still be saved through his goodness to the sending of his son the seed of the woman and that's, this was the first promise very important promise a promise of hope and this is where our subject now starts to take its effect what is man well if we go to the chapter that our president read for us this is where the phrase uh, comes out let's just go to psalm 8 now look at verse 3 when i consider the heavens the work of thy fingers we think of all the things of nature that we can see around us today and, and then it says uh, uh, and the, the sun the, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained so you look into the heavens at night you see the, the moon and the stars you say what is man that thou art mindful of him that's the question and the son of man that thou visitest him that's the question that's being put, put before us there for thou hast made him a little lower than the angels and crowned him with glory and honour thou hast made him to have dominion over the works of thy hands thou hast put all things under his feet so all the animals were put, still put under the feet of Adam and Eve and under the feet of man and this comes to the question now well what's the ultimate purpose in life is it just to live 
and then die. Well, as we said, it isn't. And that little verse that we said in, in, in Genesis 3, verse 15, the seed of the woman, is our element of hope. It's, it's the way in which we can be saved from the ultimate outcome, that's to return forever into the dust of the ground. And so there's a hope there. And I think if we look at the prophets now, the prophets develop creation, and then they show us the hope in the future. That's what a prophecy is. It's showing us the future. So if you just turn with me to Isaiah. If you look at Isaiah 45, this goes through all the elements of creation as part of the power of God. But then it gives to us a hope. Look at um, Isaiah 45. We start at verse 5. Just read a section from there. I am the Lord, and there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee, though thou hast not known me, that they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside thee. I am the Lord, and there is none else. I form light and created darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. Drop down, ye heavens, from above, and let the skies pour down righteousness. Let the earth open, and let them bring forth salvation. Let the righteous spring up together. I, the Lord, have created it. Warn to him that striveth with his maker. Let the potsherds strive with the potsherds of the earth. Shall the clay say to him that fashioned it, What makest thou, or thy work hath, hath no hands? We thought about there, the way that God created from the dust of the ground, from that clay. Warn to him that has said unto his father, What begettest thou? Or to his mother, What hast thou brought forth? Thus saith the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, uh, and his Maker, Ask me of these uh, of things to come concerning my sons, and concerning the work of my hands, command ye me. I have made the earth, and I create man upon it. I, even my hands, have stretched out the heavens, and all the hosts of them have I commanded. So there we see a, an account of the way that the Almighty has created the earth. But then it gives to us a purpose. If we go further down to verse 18, For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it, he established it, he created it not in vain, he formed it to be inhabited. So God's purpose will not be thwarted. God's purpose, he's made the earth to be inhabited by men and women who are obedient to him and give him glory. I am the Lord and there is none else. And it's that glory, that future glory, that was brought about through the seed of the woman, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this, of course is the way that sin and death is removed from the equation. Sin and death will stop the glory of God. It's only by the removal of sin and death does the glory of God become a, a, a reality as far as man is concerned. And that's where, really where we go to Hebrews. What Hebrews chapter 2 does, Hebrews chapter 2 uh, defines what was in uh, Psalm 2. So if you go with me now, into Hebrews and see the way that it's, it's clearly expla explained for us here in Hebrews chapter 2. It picks up the elements that we've been highlighting. 
So we're going to chapter 2 of Hebrews. And you look at verse 5. And the angels are mentioned here. The angels were there in creation. So again, the angels are mentioned here. Because the angels are now at work in the kingdoms of men. The angels are there. But the responsibility in the kingdom of God, when Jesus returns, will be transferred to Jesus and those who he redeems. So they become, doing, like the angels, doing the work of the Almighty. And so you can see that this, this is their purpose in the creation of man. To bring man into the same relationship with the angels that they have now with God. You can see the, the way that equation works. But it has to come through the Lord Jesus because of sin. And that's what it says. For unto the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come, whereof we speak. So the kingdom of God that the prophets speak about will come under the control of those who have been redeemed. So that's the purpose of God. Making them like the angels in their relationship to the Almighty. A wonderful promise, isn't it? And so that's, that's what is meant there. It says, um, and we go to the, verse 6 now there. But one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him? He's quoting here from Psalm 2. What is man that thou art mindful of the son of man that thou visitest him? And then we, it goes on to explain that, doesn't it? It says, Thou hast made him a little lower than the angels. Thou hast crowned him with glory and honour. And it set him over the works of thy hand. We'll be looking at that in Genesis chapter 1. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he hath put all things in subjection under his feet, he hath left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things under him. So we see that it hasn't been completed. We don't see the ultimate reason for man being created. We can see the process, but we've not reached the stage where it is completed. But what we do see, we see Jesus. That's what's important because it says, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels and we'll see why in a moment. He couldn't have been made like an angel because he couldn't have done that work of redeeming. So he was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honour that they might, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. So there we say now, the special place, the special work that Jesus had to do. He was the sin bearer. He, he, he was living a life of our nature, but being sinless, and that was important. And therefore, through this, he was able to remove sin and death. And he could then bring in this kingdom of God, as far as we're concerned, the glory will be revealed. And that's what the, the, this chapter goes on to explain. He becomes a leader, a captain of our salvation. And that's what it says in verse 10. For it became whom, for all, uh, whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying... I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the ecclesia will I sing praises unto thee and again I will put my trust in him and again behold I and the children which God hath given me for as much then as the 
children are partakers of flesh and blood he also himself likewise took part of the same he had to have the same flesh and blood the same tendencies that we have that through death he might destroy him that has the power of death that is the devil in love that sin in the flesh and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage this is where it tells us he wasn't he couldn't have been an angel it says for verily took not on him the nature of angels but took on him the seed of abraham now i think that's interesting now because he, he wasn't like an angel so we understand that because angels can't sin jesus had had to have that propensity of our nature where he knew that sin was but didn't sin secondly it says that he took upon him the seed of abraham why was it the seed of abraham because the almighty has made promises about his kingdom to abraham isaac and jacob he was the seed of abraham it doesn't say the seed of adam it says the seed of abraham because abraham was chosen for god to reveal his purpose with the earth through abraham and so jesus becomes the seed of abraham wherefore in all things it behoved him to make like unto his brethren that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people for in that he himself has suffered being tempted is able to succor them that are tempted so he understands when we are tempted this is a comforting thought because the Lord Jesus knows what sins like and when we fail Jesus knows why we fail and so what we have we have what the term in scripture is an advocate an advocate speaks on the behalf of others so jesus can speak on our behalf before the almighty creator and to have somebody there at the right hand of the creator is very comforting to us this is the way of course that we can gain forgiveness of sins because jesus knows our nature and therefore he's able to help us he becomes an advocate so we can see all the elements here that are necessary in the work of the lord jesus so then god has been mindful of man this is important and to do that of course he had to give his only begotten son and this was a great uh, blessing of grace that comes from the almighty that his only begotten son had to be given in this way and as we said not an angel but one who was of the seed of abraham jesus then was sinless and he then is able to reconcile us to the the creator and what he does he opens a way so that we can now not fear death so when when we go back into the dust of the ground we know from scripture that we can be raised from the dead and this is the sacrifice of jesus he gained the victory over death he gains it through forgiveness of sins and we can then have this glorious hope before us sin and death doesn't hang over us like it would have done jesus as a, as a redeemer he opens the way and we find then that god is mindful and that's the important point god is mindful of man and he's visited him and we're looking forward now to the return of the messiah the coming of the messiah and he will bring 
to the earth the glory which God had intended in the beginning. Now we can be part of that glory. Now if we have to sort of say, well how do we know this is going to happen? Look at prophecy. Look at the signs of the times. And look at the things that are going on. Scripture has told us that these things will happen in the world prior to the coming of the Messiah. We're seeing all sorts of things happening in this country. We're seeing this coming out of Europe, all which is revealed in Scripture. We're seeing the way that the world is, is becoming increasingly evil in many of its ways, all revealed in Scripture. We see the uh, people of Israel back in their own land, according to Scripture. And so we can have faith that these things will happen, that the earth will be filled with the glory of God. We have to wait in patience as we see these things developing. And we must have that necessary faith so we are acceptable to God. We hope you enjoyed that talk. For more downloads, videos, information about what we believe and details of our meeting times, go to our website, ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk.